Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. Art and sometimes rock and roll Let's do a public opinion poll Raise your hand if you love creative control Cause when Vish is unleashed Well, you... Oh, sorry, I didn't see you there I was just working on a tribute song to my favorite podcast, Creative Control with Vish Khanna my name is Matthias, and I play in a band called The Burning Hell, but more importantly, I support Creative Control on Patreon, and I think you should too. Quality long-form arts journalism is like a magical talking unicorn. It definitely exists, but it can be really hard to find. Fortunately for us, Vish makes it easy with hundreds of funny, thought-provoking, well-researched and engaging interviews with artists from all over the world. Your flexible monthly donation on Patreon will get you plenty of special exclusive treats and help Vish keep his podcast well-fed and cared for properly the way a magical unicorn deserves. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creativecontrol today. One, two, three, four, I count mountains. One, two, three, counter, you're a cool thing, count mountains. One, two, three, four, I count mountains. One, two, three, counter, you're a cool thing, count mountains. Rachel Brown and Nate Amos are acclaimed and gifted musicians who currently call Brooklyn, New York, home. Brown is originally from Chicago, 
where they dabbled in comedy and music before moving to New York. Amos is originally from Vermont and was partners with Brown for a period, but now, as friends, they collaborate as the wonderful musical duo Water From Your Eyes. Formed in 2016, Water From Your Eyes broke through with their 2021 album Structure, but garnered even more attention for their emotive and kaleidoscopic record Everyone's Crushed, which was released by Matador Records on May 26, 2023. On November 13th of that same year, a remix record was released called Crushed by Everyone, and sometime shortly after that, Rachel, Nate, and I connected for a good talk about things like uh, life in Brooklyn and living near grade schools, comparing Chicago and New York and the importance of local arts and music communities, Bluegrass, The Beatles, and Ween, the stand-up to singing pipeline, what punk means to different people, theatricality and not overthinking things, painting and music, touring in 2024, CanCon, other future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One Network with the support of listeners just like you who follow and subscribe to this donor-driven podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash Control. That is the best way to support me making a living doing work like this. So if you can, head over to our Patreon today and uh, support the show. Today there are some nice uh, gifts and perks to doing so. Learn more at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you very much. With additional support from Blackbird Music, a wonderful record store with locations in Edmonton and Calgary, Alberta, and a website, blackbird.ca, where you can go and type in uh, things you're looking for. And they, if they've got them, they'll ship them right to your house. Say you want a copy of this new Water From Your Eyes album, uh, Everyone's Crushed. Well, you just go to the blackbird.ca, type it in, see if they can get, if they got it. And if they can't, if they don't have it, they'll get it for you and they'll ship it right to your house. It's just that simple. Support independent music stores like Blackbird Music today if you can. Plus, in-kind support from Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 831 of Creative Control, featuring Rachel and Nate from Water From Your Eyes, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Hi, Rachel. How's it going? I'm good. How are you? I'm well, thank you. Where in the world are you? Uh, I'm in Bed-Stuy right now in New York. Ah, nice. How are things going there? Um, good. Seems like it's recess outside it's nice out sunny blue skies i i presume you live near a school is it recess for some other some an office building or <laughs> oh uh that'd be a lot funnier if there's like a bunch of grown adults in suits playing soccer no I, yeah i live across the street from a school oh nice i think that can be sometimes i walk by uh my kids go to schools and i look at the houses nearby and i'm like i wonder if this is both you know, uh, inspiring and also kind of hell on earth. Because I couldn't do this show if I lived right by a school. It'd be chaos. There'd be noise all the time. Uh, is it is it inspiring or are you ever like, keep it down out there, will you? Sometimes it is really nice to wake up to the sound of children laughing. But other times it makes me feel really bad that I'm waking up at lunchtime. <laughs> 
Um. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Sleep schedules. Does it ever wake you up before lunchtime? No, it seems like they're in class It's in the morning. Oh, okay. Right, good. <laughs> um, yeah. 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 So it kind of, they kind of only ever come outside at lunchtime, and if I'm still in my bed... It's either, like, really nice that I'm, like, oh, like, kids are out having, like, beautiful growing lives. They're just having fun. I remember that. And sometimes I'm, like, wow, I'm really in my 20s and it's 1 p.m. and I'm not doing anything today. <laughs> you know, you're so close in some ways in your 20s. You're you're a young adult. You're so close to, I don't know how old these kids are, but you're relatively close to their age. I mean, more than I am. Does anything they say or do uh, outside your window, does it inspire you to write? Yeah. I feel like, again, when I'm in a, like a better mood and I think about how beautiful it is to be a child and not how disappointing it is to be an adult without a proper routine, um, on those days, yeah, I feel like when I've journaled a few times in the morning or afternoon, it's been like, wow, like life is really so beautiful. Like things can change what feels like so quickly. But I guess in reality, it's actually pretty slow because I guess I'm probably at least 15 years older than these <laughs> children. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm not saying you're they're contemporary, but you're close. It feels, yeah. it feels like I'm a lot closer than I think I, in, like, reality I am. Like, there's been a couple times, because there's also, like, a basketball court that they're playing on, and I, I sometimes I play basketball, and a couple times these, like, 12-year-olds have challenged me to play them one-on-one, -on -one, and I think, like, that's probably about the same skill level, because I stopped playing basketball when I was maybe 14. Hmm. But then, after we finish the game, it, it feels actually like I am a lot older and I should not be playing 12-year-olds in basketball. <laughs> yeah, I, I play with a 12-year-old all the time, my son, and uh, uh, have been for many years uh, before he was 12, and he's gotten so, he's gotten good. I, I, you know, I'm not that, I, I just try to play with him, and he's playing organized ball now, and I, I'm not trying to brag, but he's, he's the best player on the team, and I think... Uh, I think it has something to do with playing with an older... What I'm saying is you might be more instructive to them than you realize. It might be helping Yeah, them. I think the last time I played, it only happened twice. The first time I didn't try that hard because I thought that'd be really embarrassing to try really hard and then beat a kid. Uh, yeah. But then this kid talked so much smack. Yeah, they that do that. Actually, after when he won, I was like, I feel terrible. So, like, the next summer, this other kid challenged me to play, and I was like, yeah, you know what? And I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring it, because this yeah. kid can't. And so I beat him, but also during the game, he kept missing and being like, man, that's so gay. And I was like, hey, oh, actually, yeah. being gay is cool, and you shouldn't say that, like, when you miss. Like, you should choose a different word. And he was like, yeah, okay, that's a really good point. And I was like, all right, great, we are making progress. Good for you. Yeah, you're building character by teaching them that life is not uh, always going to work out for them by losing that basketball, but you're also teaching them uh, how to be a better person. That's great. See? Yeah, that's the and hope. I did let him, I let him tell his friend that he beat me because he was like, I can't believe I'm going to have to tell my other 12-year-old friend that I got beat by a girl. Right. And I was like... 
I wasn't even gonna try to attempt to explain the the non-binary ad- identity. So I was just like, "Yeah, that's you can just you can say you won." <laughs> I appreciate your uh, consideration of not uploading too much information onto this kid. Uh, you gave him as much as you could, and uh, hopefully he'll figure it out. No, that's great. That's nice. Well, thank you for joining uh, us on this call. And I, beyond my listeners, we've neglected someone who's listening into us. Nate, are you there? I I am here. <laughs> nice to meet you as well. Thank you for being on the call. Where in the world are you? I am also in Bed-Stuy. Huh. Also nice. across the street from a basketball court and a school. School? And a school? Yeah. But are I can't rec- see out my window right no, now, okay. so I, I have no idea what's going on. I wonder if the recesses are synced up uh, across uh, Bed-Stuy today, but you're not hearing any milling about outside your window. No, to be entirely honest... Now that I'm thinking about it, I really haven't seen any like kids out there since I got back. So I don't know if oh. that means that winter vacation started early or I'm just hmm. always asleep when the kids are at school. Usually there are like all these school buses lined up and everyone is honking outside my window because they can't get past the school buses. But now that we're talking about it, I haven't witnessed that since we got back from tour. So I don't know what's going on. I hope the school hasn't been uh, shut down or abandoned or something. Yeah, I hope not. Yeah, you would know that, wouldn't you? There'd be signs saying toxic waste, uh, stay away, those sorts of things. Yeah, I'd hope so. I don't know. I don't really like go over there and like be like, <laughs> no, I wonder what's, I wonder what's going on at the, at the school right now. <laughs> no, that's probably a good thing. Frankly, that's great. Yeah. Uh, well, Locking no, that's the door being like, where are the children? <laughs> <laughs> I neglected to ask uh, Rachel this question. How long have you been in uh, uh, Bed-Stuy and in, and in New York, Nate? A little more than six years now. Huh. And where are you from originally? Uh, home base is Vermont. I kind of moved around a lot as a kid. Oh, okay. I, but Vermont is like where my family is and stuff. Hmm. And what brought you to Brooklyn? Rachel and needing to get out of Chicago. Right. Right. That's where you met? Yeah, we met in Chicago. Okay, cool. So Rachel, same trajectory around uh, six years in New York? Um, no, I've been here for eight years. Oh. Uh, I moved here for school, for college. And then, yeah, Nate moved two years after me. I see. Okay. And you live... I'm... Hmm? No, you go ahead. Sorry. (laughs) I was going to say, I I moved from Chicago, because that's where I'm from, and that's where... Yeah, that's where we met. Nice. Uh, do you miss Chicago? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I love Chicago. I think it's really a wonderful city. I miss yeah my maybe my parents are still there so I miss them and a lot of my, a lot of my friends have moved back there and still live there so it's I miss it but I also don't think I would want to move back at least yet I still really like living in it actually took me though it took me 4 years to stop trashing New York I used to be like, Chicago's the greatest city in the world, New York has nothing on it, and then like four years uh, into living here, I was like, alright, actually, I think I like it here. (laughs) It's an interesting trajectory, um, because, uh, well, sorry, this just came up on the show, Uh, I had uh, uh, Fred Armisen and Steve Albini on together recently, and Armisen talked about how in the late 80s, uh, he's from New York originally, and he and his band... Or having, you know, it's expensive to live in New York, and they were just one of them went to school in Chicago, so they moved to Chicago, and that's where he felt like he could 
they could th- thrive a bit more. Uh, and you guys have had the opposite trajectory. Uh, Nate, did you get, did you feel comfortable and as part of like a musical community when you were in Chicago? Was it hard to leave that sort of thing? Yeah, there was definitely a scene there that I had a lot of fun being a part of, but it never felt like living in Chicago was the goal. I went out there initially for school and, um, you know, I kind of the whole time I was thinking about where I would live next. So I, I liked being there a lot, but I always intended on leaving at a certain point. Yeah. Okay. And you're liking it in New York? Yeah, I, I love New York. And beyond like being like, I like would love to have like a little house somewhere. Like I don't really like, I'm not constantly thinking about, you know, how do I, how do I leave New York? It's kind of the first place I've lived where I felt comfortable in like a long term sense. Yeah. Okay. Rachel, uh, I sorry, you grew up in Chicago? Is that what you were getting at? Oh, yeah, yeah, I grew up there. So you would have sort of observed different music communities. It's a transient place, like a lot of sort of college university towns. Young people come in, they do a bunch of stuff. It kind of alters the landscape, ideally, in some ways for the better, uh, because all the businesses and people have to be like, ah, oh, these young people always want something new. I got to keep up with all the young people, so we better install a Wi-Fi machine or whatever they have to do, and then they move on, and then there's a new influx of young people. So I personally think, sorry, I'm just giving you a slight rant and theory, but I think university and college towns have to adapt to an influx of young people and transients in some ways. And I don't know why I went on this tangent other than to suggest I think that can also impact the arts and culture communities in those places. Being from Chicago and and probably having an entry point into different music communities and different arts scenes, uh, were there any particular things about or eras of Chicago that were meaningful for you and inform what you're doing now? I don't, I don't know. I didn't really grow up around any arts communities, hmm. per se. Um, actually, a lot of the people that I grew up with, their families are from Chicago, and like I feel like it's either like you're from Chicago or your parents are from like another Midwestern state and like wanted to live in the biggest city close enough to like their families. So for me, it didn't really feel like a place that people left. I mean, even like now, like almost all my best friends from high school still live there. And like, oh yeah, a lot of my friends from grade schools, like their families have been there for like ever. I mean, even my my, my grandma's from Chicago. Hmm. So people stay. Generally, people you're saying, they tend to stay. I feel like Chicago is a place where people stay. There's not really, I mean, if you're thinking about like moving out of Chicago, it's like you could move to New York or I guess LA, but that's kind of like a completely different place. And so like you don't, there's not a bigger place to move to. Like for me, Chicago like wasn't like a college town. Like I grew up in a neighborhood that now is really different. So it feels like it's getting, you know, like how every city is where it's getting, um, you know, gentrified and people are being forced out of the communities they've been living in. 
But yeah, for me, it doesn't feel like a transient place. Like, I feel like I'm actually one of the few, me and my brother both left, but I feel like a lot of the people we grew up with and our friends are all still there. Hmm. Okay. And don't no. plan on moving. Um, that's that's fair. I, I think what I was hoping to get to, and sorry for taking us down a uh, irrefutable road. <laughs> You're like, yeah, hey, that hasn't been my situation. What I really wanted to get to, I suppose, is like what inspired you as a young Chicagoan. And Nate, I'll ask you the same question about your time in um, Vermont. I want to kind of get at that origin story stuff in terms of what maybe opened your eyes to music and arts and culture when you were younger and not uh, schooling kids on the basketball court. I mean, like really young. So I want to get to that in a moment. What I have neglected to say is congratulations on your new record. Uh, you've had a lot of success this year and I, I know it must be heady, but, um, I want to talk about this record and, and I think, um, where it seems to distinguish itself from your back catalog. I mean, it's telling to me that your new album starts with a song that's titled after your previous record, from what I can tell, like there's some continuity stuff going on that you're aware of, but also I think it's different. So I want to get into all these things, but, uh, back to what I was getting at first there, the origin story stuff. And Nate, I'm going to go to you. Do you have any sort of sense recall of what got you into music as a very young child, a person just discovering the world of music? Well, my dad is a musician. He's a bluegrass musician. So that was pretty much it. I was like oh. very much surrounded by music from a very early age, kind of a split between experiencing a lot of bluegrass in person and um listening to like a lot of like classic rock essentially you know i think the closest thing to like a religion i had as a kid was like the beatles essentially right but it was it was just like a big a big focus early on i took piano lessons and was kind of fixated on music from a very early age. Bluegrass to piano is interesting. Bluegrass is a very, uh, I think it demands virtuosity. I mean, that's what I think of when I think of bluegrass. The people who play it can really play it. But you took to the piano. Did you explore bluegrass in your own pursuits? Yeah, well, so piano is the only instrument that I ever took any formal lessons in. But by the time I was... In fifth grade, I think I was playing guitar. And then in terms of bluegrass, like I I kind of figured out my way around like mandolin and banjo. And the only mm-hmm. instrument that I could really hold my own in in the context of playing with other people is upright bass. Um, oh, okay. Because I feel like a lot of the other instruments, you know, the bar for playing in bluegrass is so high like you can't really because in bluegrass it's like every instrument for the most part in like you know the core lineup is a rhythm instrument so in order to get good enough at you know banjo or mandolin that you can really function in a band setting that's like you know you have to really really put in the hours and i was never really just particularly focused on bluegrass in a way that lent itself to that upright bass was more kind of you know that was a simpler 
thing to get down and had a lot more overlap with the kinds of music that I was more interested in. For whatever reason, that came very easily to me, kind of like, you know, playing drums and stuff. If you have like a basic understanding of it and a good sense of rhythm, you can play upright bass in a bluegrass setting. It's fascinating because a lot of what you described, you know, they can't, it can be busy music. It can be frenetic. It, it can be all sorts of things, obviously, all of those instruments. But I pick up on a particular affinity for noise in this Definitely. project. Do you know where I, that kind of came from for you instrumentally? Clatter? You know, I think that was something that developed a little later on. I'm not really sure when that became... Hmm a focus. I was very interested in kind of more like sound design for a while. And, you know, I feel like a lot of my interests more in that area kind of came out of like, you know, the period of, at least for me in the context of art, you reach a certain age and you instinctually reject like everything that you grew up with. And you know, pure noise was kind of like the complete opposite of bluegrass, which is very much like strictly like rhythm and melody, and there's a particular way that you do it. And so noise is, there's no rhythm, there's no melody, and there's no particular way to do it. So it's kind of the, the polar opposite in a lot of ways. But to be reductive about it, because it can be all sorts of different things, bluegrass, I think, can be rather incessant. Like just constant sound. There's not a lot. I mean, there's definitely. Pot, you know what I'm getting at. So there's like a no. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't mean incessant in a negative way. It's just there's just constantly something happening usually in a bluegrass. Oh yeah, it's yeah. it's it's relentless. And okay, there's a very <laughs> that's there's a very <laughs> different word. Yeah, particular. There's a very particular <laughs> way to do it. There are a lot of rules if you want to. You know, because bluegrass is particularly interesting because it's not even. I mean, to a certain point, it developed or organically, but more so than other genres, you know, it was a particular formula that was invented by a person. Yeah, and yeah. And he was like, this is bluegrass. These are the rules. You have these instruments, and they play these roles, and you can bring in these other things. But if you change the basic formula too much, then it's just not really bluegrass anymore. Yeah. And that has changed. It's obviously evolved, but still from a technical point, you know, it's a very, very particular thing. Yeah. At least in its first couple decades of existing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Rachel, kind of a similar question about your um, musical origin story, I suppose. Do you have a sense of what first grabbed your ear and what inspired you to think, I kind of want to learn more about this. I kind of want to immerse myself more in this. Uh, I, I kind of want to try it. Do you have any sense memory of that? Yeah, I feel like, I mean, my parents both really love music. They're not musicians, but like my mom, I feel like loves singing along to songs like in the car and on the radio. And my dad's always been like really into live music. I remember though, I mean, also I grew up in a, I went to Catholic school. So like I grew up, mm going to church and like singing just not in choir just like at the normal in the normal part of the audience and i feel like i, I really enjoyed music 
But my parents have this, these friends um, that live in Michigan, and we were, like, visiting maybe for Thanksgiving or something, and it was, like, somebody's cousin's brother or something, and he brought a guitar and, like, a piano and was, like, playing in the living room, and I remember just being like, oh, like, because before that, I feel like I'd only ever heard it in either church settings or like really like a concert setting but it had never just been like oh you can do this like at a house like you can just be a person and like learn how to play an instrument and then I think I won a raffle for guitar lessons and then for a long time it was just something I did privately like playing guitar and like writing my own music and then Towards the end of high school, like when I was a senior, I started going to shows with my friend Gabby, and that's how I ended up meeting Nate. Was like in this like DIY community in Chicago, and I, hmm. I realized that there were people doing it, like young people playing, making music, and like having community. And I was really shy, but I had done stand up for a little bit before, and so I feel like if I hadn't done that, I don't think I ever would have had the confidence to like do music publicly whoa whoa hold the phone what prompted you to take up stand-up who are your i need to know about that i like oh, i like comedy I, <laughs> yeah i when i was 12 my parents were like what do you want to do with your life and i was like oh man uh i liked snl yeah um and i, I liked juno a lot I wanted to be like a i was like oh like, i think i want to be like a screenwriter like a comedic television writer um so I did like some, like a summer camp at Second City one time, and like oh cool, some like like a couple things there I guess over the years. And then when I was in high school, I started like a club, and this kid the year above me came, who actually Nate lives with, because we uh we all used to live together, and now Nate and him are still roommates. But um, my friend Steve, he was just like, hey, I do stand up, like you should come. I was like 16, and I was like, oh, okay. And then I started going to open mics, and I was like, oh, like this is really fun. Hmm. Um, but it was weird being a child at open mics, where most, especially when Steve had left to go to college. I was like, I was like, oh, I don't actually really like being the only teenager <laughs> around. Um, what kind of yeah? I wanted. What to kind of material did you have at that point? Do you remember any of it? Um, I wasn't good at actually practicing. Like, I would be whatever I was thinking about that day. Just a lot of things about, I guess, like, identity, because I'm, like, mixed race. I remember I made some jokes about kind of being biracial, and I, yeah, I never actually got good at it. Like, I, I didn't bomb. I bombed once, but it wasn't like I was bombing every time, but I wasn't doing the thing you actually had to do to get good at it. I was mostly going and talking for five minutes hmm. about whatever I wanted to talk about. And that then, sounds, that's, that's what stand-up is. I mean, I think <laughs> you're doing it. Yeah, I mean, I definitely, I mean, I, I did it. I, but I stopped doing it, actually, mostly when I started going to shows. I kind of was got way more into music. Um, I, I went to college, though, for screenwriting. Like, I went to... I studied that. And I, I kind of planned on doing that until the day I graduated when I was like, hmm, it doesn't really seem like anything is happening. And uh, and then this started happening, and now uh, this is what I do. 
I don't want to sound disrespectful if you view your lyricism as a sincere and serious art form that is not meant to, uh, uh, you know, has no connection to comedy. I find your phrasing and, and some of your lyrics to be very amusing. And as you've mentioned, Saturday Night Live, helmed by Canadian Lauren Michaels and Juno, starring Canadian Elliot Page. And in a song on your new album, you interpolate Cinnamon Girl by Neil Young and Crazy Horse. Are you obsessed with Canada? Do you think that Canada <laughs> has a huge role in your life somehow? Um, now that you say it, I guess so. I never really... Re I'm obsessed with the idea that Canada and the U.S. aren't the same place. Right. You've been you've been to Canada how many times, would you say? This year we went like four times. This year like alone? Canada, okay. Yeah, this is our Canada year. Before that, I went twice last year and once or twice when I was like three or four. Okay. But I, I don't remember... Okay. Um, I appreciate this, and I'm sorry to throw a, a Canadian curveball at you. I just, I, I'm picking up on something. Nate, I want you to be uh, just a division of labor. I think people view the band as Nate, you do a lot of the noise and sound, and Rachel does some of the, the singing and the lyrics. Is that right? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. That Pre okay. pretty much, yeah. So, so what is your, I just want to ask about your perspectives on each other a little bit. Nate, do you think Rachel's funny? What do you think about her approach to lyric writing? Because I see in the I see in the credits you work on things together. Yeah, uh, the, uh, the, both the arrangements, the vocal melodies, these sorts of things. Is it important for something that you bring to the table for each other to amuse you as much as it does anything else? Is that significant? Definitely. Well, I think that's what keeps us focused. You know, if it's not something that engages us, I feel like it never ends up really getting finished and um you know comedy is just part of the emotional spectrum and i think something that has become a focus for us within music is allowing the entire bandwidth of human emotion as we experience it to be expressed and the lighter aspects make the darker aspects pop and vice versa do you see the music as imbuing what you do with the darkness and the this isn't true i'm already correcting myself because some of the lyrics are very heavy yeah and some of the uh singing is very uh earnest and beautiful but then within that there's this i think personally you correct me if you disagree I think within the delivery, there is the levity sometimes, like w with how Rachel is a, singing a, a song and the words even. You know, we mentioned the the recess outside your window there, Rachel, and there are songs where you're just counting. And I have a 12 and an eight-year-old <laughs> who have been listening to your record and they, they, they're starting to know it and they're starting to sing along. And at first, I think, I'll be honest with you, at first they're like, what is this? What's going on? Now they're like... Is this the song about the truth? Like they're starting to ask questions. It's in, they're engaging with it. So all this to say, there's a playful aspect and a sincere aspect to your approach as a singer and a songwriter. Is that fair to say, Rachel? Yeah, I feel like this project in particular is 
and has always, maybe not always, there's a middle point, but I feel like started out as something that was very fun, and, like, we were playing around with the music, and it's, like, gotten to a point where I think we take it much more seriously than at the beginning, because it was, I guess, kind of a joke at the beginning, and now it's not, it's... <laughs> now it it's had, our job. <laughs> yeah, now it's our job. <laughs> yeah. But I think that... I mean, I feel like the thing that we like to do most is laugh together. Yeah. I feel like that's kind of... If I think about all my favorite memories of me and Nate, it's us laughing or competitively playing cards, um, which also can induce laughter. But, yeah, I don't know. I guess there are things, I guess, in the songs that are trying to speak to something a little bit more emotionally um, heavier. And I think that for me, like approaching things that are emotionally heavy, I, I have to, like I, there has to be a lighter side or else I, I can't cope. The album bio for this record, Everyone's Crushed, has one of the best openings of any album bio I've seen. I don't know who wrote it. Life is horribly dark right now, and yet it is not unfunny. <laughs> I relate to that on many levels, and I think in a, it's that sort of summer, it's something of a summation of what you're trying to get to, I think. Is that fair, Rachel? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So we have to laugh at how everyone's crushed and how everything, everyone's crushed is a, I don't know if it's a, it has a, does that have a double meaning from your perspective? Cause I, I, I couldn't. I feel like a, it has like a holographic meaning. It means like kind of an infinite amount of things. Yeah. To me. Who 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 coined that phrase? Of, of the two Nate did. Okay. No, so. no, 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 no. So the that song was one that I I wrote some of the core lyrics for that song, but the phrase everyone's crushed was not actually part of it. That's from the middle verse that Rachel wrote. Okay. And maybe, so. <laughs> well, that, that phrase came up when we were both in the room when that phrase came up. What, um, what, what do you suppose, Rachel, that means? Like that song is such an interesting linguistic exercise and about meaning, intent, uh, what language can be capable of, I think, on some level, I think. That's my reading of it. I don't want to sound like uh, the English major that I was and graduate that I was, but I, I find it linguistically interesting as a song, and it is the title track. So I view it as having some sort of conceptual umbrella con concept notion to it. You've given the album this title. I think, as I said earlier, this album, to me, seems to distinguish itself from your past records in very unique ways. So something's going on. This is a... a and you can disagree with that, too. By the way, guys, you can disagree with anything I say. I don't, I don't mean to keep saying that. Anything I say, if it's wrong, you don't like it, just holler. I'm just saying. I think there's a lot going on with it, and it has that sense of humor as well in the, in the title track and throughout this record. Rachel, can you talk about this sentiment of everyone's crushed? And then I hope as we go, we can talk about what this album kind of means and the trajectory of what you two have been working on. But let's start with the actual conceptual idea first. Can you speak to that, Rachel? Yeah, I guess, I mean, this album really came together sort of in, I guess, 2020, 
And I feel like everybody was just so beat down. And like, it felt like we were being kind of crammed into the situation that nobody had any answers to. And it was like, everybody was so stuck and really, like physically stuck. Yeah. But also I feel like then emotionally kind of trapped in these things that like, at least for me, it was, like, all this stuff I'd just been putting off, like, these problems that I had in my head that I didn't have any time for before that, that suddenly was like, oh, okay, like, now all I have is time, and, like, now all I can really do is, like, think about what, how I've been living and, like, how I've been approaching things, and this song is definitely very specific, like, Nate brought kind of the, I feel like the idea of it, um, and it has, I think we both, we have different problems, so for Nate, I think that this had a lot more to do with, um, substances. Oh. Yeah, um, that, that was definitely, like, when we did However It Happened land on the phrase, everyone's crushed, I, like, immediately was, like, that's, like, the, because I feel like it just, it means a lot of different things you know there's the physical thing there's i feel like at the point when it was made a lot of the people that i knew were just like struggling with depression so there's an emotional thing but then it also does have this kind of like you know at the risk of being too graphic a lot of the people i was around like the image of like crushing pills yeah. was like also part of why it resonated with me and it all kind of like lends to this idea that it seemed like everyone was stuck in their own particular limbo at the time. And um, it just immediately... Because it was funny, because that, that song, originally, when I, I brought the demo to Rachel, and it just had the, the verse that it starts it and the verse that ends it was all I had, and it was just kind of this repeated almost like mantra type thing like, yeah I it has like a the, yeah. yeah it was like a, me- this, a meditative quality almost yeah and this sort of like um acceptance and meditation on the nature of forgiveness in spite of your problems you know the the people around you and the world around you understanding and forgiving you for like whatever it is that you've done and put yourself through or put other people through and the weird overlap between those two things yeah for me that song is like personally like a lot of the album you know i would just kind of have these like lyrical prompts that i would give to rachel and then they would turn it into like its own thing but that song for for me, just because of the moment that it was made, that's like the song that I relate to the most on the album on like a personal level. Yeah. We've been talking about the balance of humor and darkness, and I don't know how to characterize your band in terms of any kind of, you know, conventional genre signifier. But the one thing I'll say is given what I know about music and the music I've heard this record seems to, again, I don't mean to be lazy, 
But some of the elements we've just been discussing also fall in line with what we call post-punk. Certainly uh, late 70s, early 80s, onset of new wave, but also that kind of heavy humor, like heavy and funny at the same time. We've talked about a few other kinds of um, musical influences. Um, I'm going to go to Nate on this first, though. Is post-punk, if you will, and by post-punk, I'm like, Gang of Four, like the guitar kind of, I hate using these phrases because they're all kind of rote by now, but like, you know, it's just like a slashy guitar and it comes in yeah. and out and it's it's sort of unsettling when it comes in tonally and whatnot. Is post-punk, if you will, <laughs> an influence on you? I mean, I feel like a lot of the music that I played in the past was influenced by that. It's definitely like baked into it. But that's never been a focus for me so much. In terms of the kind of like angular cutting guitar, for me, it kind of relates more to like, honestly, like the Beatles, like the really like harsh guitar parts that yeah. pop up in that kind of like. Taxman, you a big Taxman you know, fan? You like the song yeah. Taxman? Uh, that's that's yeah. the kind of guitar too, like, man, man, like that kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that like really like, it's like sometimes very contained but aggressive and and then sometimes just like explodes and it's just so like out of control i feel like i've just touched upon something i feel like the root to all things water from your eyes might be the song Taxman from the 1966 album revolver there's a lot revolvers yeah. revolver <laughs> played big into this album i mean uh barley and buy my product both started as experiments based on Barley in particular, like the whole idea was to make like a from like an instrumental point to make like a tomorrow never knows type thing with yeah. a static beat, a single root note, and then all these different things that kind of like float around on top that all change the emotional implication of what's yeah. happening a little bit and to bring them in in different layers. And, right, you know, and then every time there's a different combination of things, it means something else. And then if you take one thing away, then it changes entirely. Very interesting. Yeah, this gives yeah. me some insight into the kind of uh, whatever psychedelic kaleidoscopic nature of this album in particular. Yeah. Huh. I'm sorry. I'm it's a like, huge. I'm a big Beatles fan. I have. I don't know if my listeners are familiar with this band from Liverpool, but they're very good. And they did a lot of cool stuff. They're no longer together, but uh, I like them very much. And I'm sorry, you were going to say something else there, Nate. Oh, you know, obviously there's like all, everything you do is inevitably affected by the totality of the things you've consumed in your life. But yeah. for me, sonically, like particularly like that era of the Beatles, like Revolver was a huge influence. But then in terms of the kind of balance between comedy and tragedy i think for me the primary influence was ween yeah there you go right they're like one of my favorite favorite bands ever and that's something that they just do so well and i feel like so much of music shies away from being funny as if it automatically yeah. makes something a joke that i feel like they get kind of a bad rap yeah because they didn't shy away from that. But that's, you know, that's, it's all part of drama. It's all equally important. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Part of the drama in this band for me is, Rachel, your approach as a vocalist. There's been a slight, I think, for me anyway, something of an interesting explosion of what I would call speak singing of late, and I I love it. I, I mean, it, it it creates this real directness to the listener, like you're hearing a voice, and sometimes your voice can be sort of almost a cappella, and it has been on um, other records for sure. Can you talk a little bit about any influences you've had in your approach as a singer, dare I say, a presenter in Water From My Eyes, like a host almost? I've never thought about it like that. Yeah, I guess I am kind of like a host. Should get a little tuxedo, <laughs> one of those like, sticks to. I don't. Yeah. Someone actually like a know cane. Him. You need a desk every time. You yeah, need a desk, like, like a talk show set. You go. Yeah. Oh yeah, or a desk. Yeah. I guess yeah, it's a different direction. There's I've so got many my, directions. Got my late show with David Letterman mug right here. So I'm a fan of the late night talk shows. So I, I didn't mean to. I hope I didn't misconstrue what you do. But do you see where I'm kind of coming from? Yeah, I actually, I don't really think I don't. I don't know. I don't really think about... I'm not a trained singer. Like, I couldn't do a vocal run to save my life. Like, hold a gun up to me and it's... I'm dead. Like, I don't... And I, I've never thought of myself as a singer. Like, I... I made my own music and, like... But for me, it wasn't, like, to exercise my singing voice, but rather to expel my demons of emotions. You know, you know what's funny... As an SNL fan, as a, as a fan of comedy, we're getting into the realm of theatricality. Musicals, maybe. Again, for those who've never heard a note of Water From Your Eyes, they are not a band that does musicals. <laughs> However, if you think about it, and I'm just putting this out there, again, correct me if I'm wrong, sometimes the pacing of a record uh, and the arrangements on this record, they're close to almost like a musical. You're watch- You're listening to someone, they're... They're kind of conversing with you, and then all of a sudden, there's a melody. They're singing a song. Is this bad? What I'm saying? Is it insulting? No, <laughs> I think I think I would more so than musicals. I mean, album pacing is something that I've always been like very sensitive to and careful with, and more so than musicals, I would say it's almost influenced by like books and movies or I guess just like anything that involves pacing like the concept of tension and release is something that is constantly being worked with on like a micro and a macro level what about concept records you mentioned a few mediums and platforms or whatever uh, ways of doing things no I think I mean to me like any any good record is a concept record. I think a lot of the concept records that are more literal, then it begins to really feel like a musical. And that's not really my thing. I kind of like, I kind of hate musicals. I like certain songs from certain musicals. I really like Scrooge the musical. That's my favorite musical. I know in America, one of the most popular uh, date night movies, right? Or musicals right now is uh, Beetlejuice. Anyway, I'm not going to talk about oh. that. There was some something, some fiasco there uh, that happened in your country with that. Uh, maybe you don't know what I'm talking about. We don't have to talk about it. Uh, I have no sorry. idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, just for background, a few months ago, one of your politicians there, that Lauren Bogert. Oh, I do know what you're talking yeah, yeah, about. Yeah, she got, that was oh. crazy. They got kind of handsy at the Beetlejuice musical, and it was very weird. And uh, it's been quite a year 
for America <laughs> as always. So uh, I just want to say that. Sorry, Rachel. I I was trying to get to you and your approach. You say you don't have any formal training. I invoked theatricality. Let's, if not musicals. Would you agree there's like a theatrical bent to how you approach a song per se? Maybe you wouldn't put it that way. You tell me. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I mean, in some ways, Nate is kind of like my director. Like a lot of the times, there's a few songs on this record where I did the melodies as well, but a lot of the times Nate will write the melody and, and then I, I try to do it. There is a certain point in this project I remember uh, maybe like a couple records back that I, like I mean I don't I've never thought of myself really as a musician and there was like a certain point that I was like uh, dude I can't hit this note and he'd be like no you can it sounds like this <laughs> and I'd be like this and he'd be like no not that this but it, to me it would sound the same yeah um, yeah sure and like even like in performance wise like I feel like it is not that, like, we're particularly theatrical. Like, I don't think anybody comes to our shows thinking, like, wow, that band is really putting on a, like, a performance. I think a lot of people are like, man, these people are like, wandering around the stage. <laughs> um, do you, do I, I invoked post-punk earlier. Do you think of yourselves as punks, Rachel? Um, I think that that word is funny. I think when I was 18, I would have loved to have been, like, I really wanted to be a punk. I thought that the idea of kind of rejecting conformity and trying to, like, create out of, not nothing, but, like, out of something just entirely different than what is, like, being presented to you as normal life and, like, trying to create a different world... Yeah. That, like, people can exist in without judgment and whatnot. Yeah. But I think, it, I don't know. I think that a lot of the idea of punk has to do with how much leather and jean you wear. Well, and- but that's the fashion. Yeah, I know where you're coming from here. It can be a loaded term. For me, it's a it's an ethos. And it's a, it's a very um, sincere and serious irreverence. And I feel like that's swimming around in your band. It's but what we've been like that line I alluded to earlier um, from your bio, like things are shitty. Often we have to try to, to to have hope and optimism. We have to try to find the fun in it and the the things, the spirit that brings us together, not just dwell on. We can speak to those things, as I think you do on some level in your own personal way. But I think you're getting at that. A little bit. That's serious irreverence in this band. Does that help clarify where yeah. I'm coming from by saying punk? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that definition. I think I would be honored to um, be punk in that way, that I would, it would feel like a very highly regarded, like, state to, or I guess ethos to be participating in. Well, listen, um, I don't want to blindside you both with an honor, but I hereby decree that you are punks. And I... As a punk, it, I appreciate where you're coming from. It is a bit of an anything goes exploratory band. And I think that's where, that's what punk means to me. It's not about the style and the fashion stuff that you're talking about. It's an ethos. And I, so for what it's worth, you are hereby punks. And please don't, don't diminish what punk means. This is quite an honor. It's quite a responsibility. Now, I want to ask you about something I alluded to earlier, which is continuity. 
This record begins with a song that is named after your previous album. <laughs> I, I maintain, as I have listened to your catalog, that this album, stand, the new one, I mean, stands out a bit. Can you, Nate, speak to those two things? Can you talk about why you've connected the first song in your new album to the to the previous album? And secondly, would you, how would you um, engage with what I'm saying that this seems like a different sort of band at this point? Um, can you speak to those things? Well, for the first thing, I mean, that opening track, we really didn't know what to call it because it's kind of like a prelude or intro. And it was very much, I think it was like marked as prelude for a while because that's one thing I was really into was listening to organ preludes. And that's how that started as like an organ piece. I think it was Rachel's idea to just rather than call it prelude, we're like, well, the prelude to this album is structure the album. So let's just call it that. And I thought that was like the funniest shit I'd ever heard. So we committed to that very quickly. But I think this this album, there are a couple things that shifted dramatically. Just talking about the album structure where everything is very heavily layered and there is more conscious blurring and masking of in the presentation. And this album, it was intentionally very raw kind of edges exposed in all aspects of production, probably most obviously in the way the vocals are presented. In the past, yeah. a lot of the vocals have been multi-tracked and like slightly washed out whereas with this album the point was or the idea was to essentially put rachel in front of a mic get the take and then not really touch it and to leave it everything very very exposed and i think that was something that happened naturally but also, a, a huge part of the process with this band for the last couple albums has been like transmedium influence. So I look a lot to different painters, and structure was very much influenced by Mark Rothko and this kind of like blurring the duration of time and like having it be sort of out of focus in a very high definition way and everyone's crushed was very directly inspired by the work of francis bacon which is oh. like a total hmm. totally different thing hmm. and so really in terms of the presentation of the sound from a production standpoint i would credit it to that and then that kind of ethos then began to kind of permeate the whole process with the idea of it being very immediate and exposed and almost improvisational and yeah. capitalizing on accidents and then bringing those accidents into focus as much as possible. And, you know, even in the lyric writing part of it, you know, we would get together and I would sort of, you know, sometimes I'd have a melody or like one line of lyrics or like a more vague prompt and be like, do something like this. And then would capture Rachel's kind of like immediate response to that prompt. And then that would 
be it. So I think there's something much more immediately reactionary about this album, more so than overthinking and being like, okay, we want to do this, we want to communicate this. It was really about capturing these tiny moments and presenting them in as unprocessed a way as possible. Hmm. All right. Well, I appreciate that. That is, I guess my theory holds up in terms of its distinction from uh, what you've done in the past. Um, Rachel, similar line of questioning and, and I guess now thoughts on what um, Nate is saying. Can you talk about this record in terms of how it relates to how you've worked in the past and, and as the vocalist, you know, given what Nate's saying, you know, that everything's more immediate, that puts you kind of front and center more um, somehow. Um, can you speak to those things? Yeah, I mean, this record, I mean, Structure was written very soon after we had kind of moved out of, we used to date and live together. And so Structure, a lot of those songs were kind of written while we were breaking up. Like, the music and then the lyrics were written sort of a few months after we had moved out. And it was actually the first time that we had really hung out, just the two of us, after everything. And it felt really nice to be able to just hang out again and not have it be weird. And then the record before that was actually, I feel like, the most difficult one to make. Because it was kind of just at this height of um, being... It was, like, too many dynamics to be navigating, and then before that, it was, like, all these records were kind of, like, just goofy and fun and, like, felt kind of like a residual of when we had started it from Chicago, and then it was, like, a long-distance thing, and then this is, like, the first album that I feel like feels representative of where our band is and like how far we've really come i feel like it's i mean it's so different than the first records but also i mean like our relationship is so different and um yeah it definitely feels like the first one that was like really collaborative in like a grown-up way mm-hmm. like i feel like when we used to collaborate it was like he 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 isn't this funny <laughs> and this one was like oh man like i feel awful isn't that funny <laughs> 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 and like I feel like it's a real testament to our friendship that I feel like we're much more honest with each other now about how we're doing. And I think it comes through in the music that I, I feel like our ability to sort of be tackling things in personal and societal like ills, um, like that kind of stuff. It's a lot. I feel like we're, we can talk about it and it doesn't it feels like we're being there for each other in this project, I feel like, is us kind of being there for each other. And this is, yeah, I feel like this is the first one that it's felt like we're both in this different stage of our creative endeavors um, and that we were able to like come together and like actually really work together in a much more serious way that wasn't like plagued by like our animosities towards each other um <laughs> so it's actually a really lovely story to be honest uh, uh from my perspective to see uh people go through what you've gone through together and mature together and and grow together and all those sorts of words <laughs> but uh also come out the other side with uh, maybe a more fully realized version of 
this project than you anticipated having. Like it's a nice, I'm just saying it's a nice story. And beyond this wonderful album that came out, everyone's crushed. Uh, there's a remix. Is this the right term? There's a new thing called crushed by everyone. Yeah. Uh, and it's a remix record. Nate, is that a way to characterize it? Yeah, I, I guess so. For, for lack of a better term, it's a, you, remix you, you guys album. have a tendency to release a thing and then later release a sort of different version of the thing. I don't know if you've done this consistently, but you'll put out like the demos of, of structure or something like that. Is this a consistent of like, here's the alternate universe of that, the record? I don't think it's really ever been quite so planned out. Uh, yeah. But the remix record was something that kind of just seemed like it would be fun. Like, oh, we just kind of had an excuse to do it, so we we did it. Okay. And sorry, just to be clear, this is remixes by others, right? Yeah, I we did one. Okay. But other than that, it's all other people, friends, and artists that we admire. Rachel, what did you make of the remix record uh, as it started to take shape in terms of what how people kind of interpreted where this music you and Nate made together uh, could go? I really, I mean, I really love all the remixes. I feel like everybody, I mean, I, I love all those projects, so it was just, like, fun to hear them do their thing, but it's our songs. I'll be honest, though, when Nate originally pitched this, I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I was like, what? so what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you were hesitant. I didn't get, I was just like, we're gonna put out an album that's the album we put out, but they're all gonna be remixes by people. And that, and I was just like, is this something people do? And it was like, everybody does it. And I was yeah, like, all right. <laughs> that's, that's fascinating. It is pretty common. It's a bit of a throwback, actually. I don't know how often it happens now, to be honest with you, but it's something that used to happen quite a bit. So I appreciate your um, cynicism, but it's not that unusual. Uh, and it sounds cool. Uh, it, I like the notion of um, hearing a different uh, take on on these great songs. So all this to say, I just want to congratulate you both on all your success. And, and I want to thank you for joining me for this time. Um, I hope it was enjoyable. Uh, I look as I look ahead. My understanding of some of your future plans is some touring coming up in February of 2024. Nate, is there uh, are there other future plans you can tell us about for Water from Your Eyes and um, any more touring uh, plans beyond what I've just? Uh, sorry, what I'm outlining is something I'm seeing about uh, some American touring in February. But is there a lot more uh, coming down the pipe? We're playing some festivals in the summer. I mean, I think we're going to be kind of bopping all over the place next year. Uh, yeah. It's definitely going to be a show-heavy year. I'd have to look at the calendar to get more. No, yeah, sorry. We can, we can direct <laughs> people to your websites and stuff, yeah. I, I suppose, right? Is that the easiest thing to do? Yeah. Yeah, I guess so. I, Social... I always forget that we have a, a website. <laughs> it's a nice website. It's it's good. I like your website. I I, yeah. I looked at it. and I was like, oh, it's very comprehensive. Uh, tour dates, and you're on uh, Rachel. Are you guys on social media and stuff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're all over the internet, posting away <laughs> as one does. <laughs> so 
So you got that going on, and that's where people can go to learn about these records and, and tour dates. Uh, Nate, are you already, uh, I know you're home for a bit, I think. Are you already working on new material? Yeah, I'm always kind of like doing, I'm waiting for something to lift off. I'm really racking up the false starts with the next album. There have been oh, okay. like upwards of 10 times where I've been like, this is it. And like, and then it's, it's just not. So as of this moment, I have like close to 90 minutes of music that I don't think we're going to use for anything. Hmm. And I'm, I'm tapping my foot and patiently waiting for something to take hold, which takes a little while sometimes. Yeah. Uh, Rachel, are you writing? No, I'm. I, there's some books I want to read, and uh, I have to move out of my apartment oh, no. uh, by the end of January. And I've lived here for four years, so I'm. I oh, was no. laying awake in bed last night wondering how do you, how do you put things in the boxes? How will I do this? Um, hmm. It's yeah. gotta be. That's daunting. Do uh, you already have a new place? I'm I'm gonna put my stuff into storage, um, and then I will hopefully someday have a house again. Oh my god! Oh jeez. Okay. Wait. Wait. Where you? It's none of my business. I, I'm sure you have a plan. We don't have to get into it. I'm sure you have some place <laughs> to stay. But uh, I do feel badly for all the twelve uh, year olds who aren't going to benefit from your basketball and life knowledge. That's too bad. Uh, but hopefully you can uh, teach others uh, your ways and uh, make them better people. So that's great. Well, I wish you the best of luck with that, obviously, and uh, and both of you the best of luck uh, going forward. Uh, if we can go out on a song, I presume. We should go out on something from uh, the the record proper, unless you want to go out on something from the remix. It's up to you. I'm going to pose this to you. So we either go out on something from uh, Crushed by Everyone or Everyone's Crush. So, sorry, I'm just explaining myself to you and giving you time to think. I'm going to go to Nate on the pick, but Rachel, you have veto power. If you don't like his pick, we can have a short debate. <laughs> so it's got to be brief, though. I can't go on and on. Nate, if we could go out on one song from either of the recent releases, what would you pick and why? I think I'm going to go with the the main album version of True Life to go back to the, the Canada thing. And also because <laughs> that was, I think that was my favorite song to make on the album. Because I was just like, Rachel, this needs to be our, our short skirt, long jacket by Cake. And uh, they really, they really delivered. <laughs> this is uh, for those who don't know. This has you'll you will hear a familiar song swimming around in this song, and it'll plague you for a little bit until you realize what the song is, and it has been alluded to already. Uh, Rachel, do you what do you make of that pick, and uh, do you accept it? I I support Nate in whatever he chooses. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Do you want to say anything about the CanCon uh, Canadian content? I should say for my American friends, we call it CanCon up here. CanCon. Do you want to say anything about? Well, uh, I was the, going to. Uh, I was going to go to Rachel on it though. I just, uh, in terms of the in, interpolate or Nate, do you have something? Go. You know what? Who am I to say? I'm only the host. You say what say, you were going to say. The the the, the CanCon. Yes. Did I say that right? Yes. The the CanCon was the only lyrics that I like even 
that I could come up with for this song before Rachel came over oh. and I gave them the, the cake prompt. And then we, we couldn't even do it because this particular Canadian's lawyers wouldn't let us use the actual lyrics. So we had to later on change oh. the lyrics so that they're about how this particular Canadian wouldn't let us use his lyrics, which honestly almost works better for the for the concept. Yeah, absolutely. But uh, we yeah. we still use his lyrics live because you know. Are we allowed to love, name the Canadian? Well, we have already. I think it's we, yeah. We have I think already. it's more like a it's like a Where's Waldo? Yeah. Thing. I kind of want to uh, leave it. I know we've already named it, and people will be able to figure it out. But let's leave it. Let's 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 yeah. the listeners figure it out. Uh, uh, sorry, Rachel. Did you want to say anything more about um, True Life before we hear it? Oh, um, I also actually had the best time making this song. I also think this was the song that Nate showed me that I was like, "Whoa, this one's crazy, man!" <laughs> I love it. <laughs> All right, well, let's hear it now from Everyone's Crush. This uh, great uh, uh, 2023 release by Water from Your Eyes. This is True Life. Uh, Rachel, Nate. Thank you so much for spending time with me today. I hope, like I said, I hope you enjoyed this in some measure and that maybe we speak again soon someday and, and best of luck in the future. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you for having us.
Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. That was very nice and fun to encounter Rachel and Nate. Uh, Rachel and Nate, thanks for being on this show to talk about Water From Your Eyes and other things. Uh, this happens to be the 831st episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't uh, find an episode that you're looking for, if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com. Uh, in the show notes, you'll see a thing that says Follow Vish Online. And uh, there you can learn how to follow me on various social media platforms. Uh, I am on Instagram at Vishkana and on Twitter at Vishkana. And the, and the show has a Twitter at Vishcreative. But there's other things as well, Blue Sky and uh, Threads or whatever. There's all that stuff. I th- I got to update the show link tree thing. But anyway, click on that if you want to learn more about how to follow me. You can also click on that uh, or the Patreon uh, hyperlink there. Uh, to visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. That's all the money I really make doing this work is uh, from the Patreon. So if you can, please go there and uh, donate. Uh, $6 US uh, a month grants you access to exclusive content and other perks. We're doing we're doing giveaways and stuff now, uh, prize packs uh, for certain tier levels. Um, and uh, so we do draws for prizes and things every month if we can and uh, it's fun so if you like the show and you'd like me to keep doing it uh, and and you can give me some money to do it that would be great (laughs) please again uh, visit our Patreon and support the show uh, if you can thanks so much Uh, thanks again also to the fine Alberta record retailer Blackbird Music which you can learn more about and order records uh, directly from their website there at uh, blackbird.ca I also want to thank Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee, respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario, for their in-kind support for this show. I want to thank my uh, good friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music that I can use on this show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode uh, with Water From Your Eyes. Uh, If you're a big fan, I hope you learned something about them. If you're unfamiliar with them, I also hope you learned a lot about them. Uh, They seem really lovely. We had a nice chat uh, after we stopped rolling, and uh, I don't know. We we seem to get along quite well, so that always makes me happy, and I love their music, so a win-win. At least two wins. So thank you for listening to this episode. Check out uh, Water From Your Eyes uh, and their music. Go see them live if you can, too. And otherwise, I will talk to you very soon. Uh, if you can, subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it. Uh, that would be helpful, too. But yeah, like I say, I'll talk to you real soon. 
Have fun. Bye for now. <laughs>